In approximately 1982, God said to me, the time is coming when people will have to consolidate their houses. They will not be able to maintain the expense involved in separate houses, and they will need to sell their house and move in with relatives or Relatives will need to move in with them. That may sound perfectly horrible to you, but it is not necessarily so. I had a house in Texas where I lived by myself. It belonged to our ministry. It was a very nice house and a large house. But as I grew older, I began to want to have a smaller house. Actually, what I wanted as I grew older, as I reached the age of 81, I just wanted a single bedroom and bath and all of my things around me. I once told this to an older person, and she said that exact same thing happened to her that she really would like to have a smaller house. Things change in our life. As you grow older, you may find that to be much more desirable than having a big house. As we adjust to the plan God sets before us, we are going to find not only are we greatly blessed, but often we like it much better. I know there's never been a better time in my life than right now, and I'm 84. Most old people want to return to a previous time of their life when they were younger. I think almost every old person is that way. But when I think about my life, it's not that way. Why? Because God set it up at this period of time. He set it up. Actually, for about 30 years, he set it up where I was going to have the money to take care of this period of time. While my income is reduced, God set it up so that I would have all that I need, and not just basic needs, but I really have all that I desire, and God set all this up by very interesting means. So like the prophet Job of the Bible, God arranged for the latter years of my life to be better than the previous years. We read about that in Job 42, verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginnings. This is the story I'm going to tell you today, is things that happened that God arranged For this exact point in my life, as I would come to the latter end of my life. I was born again on August the 5th, 1975, while reading a book in my bedroom. God said to me, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. Uh, I gasped. I said, sins? I thought they were mistakes. This is something that is so true with vast numbers of people of the world. They may have joined a church, they may have been baptized, but they don't have the Spirit of God to lead them and guide them. And they try to figure it all out themselves. And along the way, they make many what they think 
are mistakes and often they are sins. We saw this recently with a football coach in the National Football League in the United States. He sent an email to a man describing another man. And he said, his lips are as thick as Michelin tires. This football coach didn't have any idea that what he had said showed sin in him. Years passed before this email came to surface, and when it did, it created an uproar, and the man had to resign for being a football coach. And he said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. He didn't realize that in his heart, he had hatred toward this other man who happened to be a black man. And he was describing in a derogatory way what he thought would show this man in a bad light. But he still didn't see that he had sinned. God didn't open his eyes to see that he had sinned. I'm happy to say that God opened my eyes to see that I had sinned, had been doing various sins, and they weren't just mistakes. But most people think what they have done is a mistake. And they may be sorry that they did it or sorry that they got caught doing it. But they don't see the sin that was in their heart. God looked upon the world and he saw this about man. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the description of the natural man, of how we are born onto this earth, where we have the desires of the flesh. But for some of us, God had mercy and gave us a new heart and a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live in us and guide us and caused us to be born again. And then we were changed. But in the days of Noah, as in the days today, the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of the natural man are only evil continually. He may not show the evil. He may be very careful to present himself in a positive light. But nothing has really changed between Genesis chapter 6 and the men of those days and the men of today Nothing has changed except Jesus Christ. And those who are born again are changed by God and given a new heart and given a new spirit. The Apostle Paul told us that evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. It's not that they're going to get better. Only those who are born again and given that new heart by God and the new spirit, the Holy Spirit, only those are changed by God. And when they have that happen, they follow God. Now some grow weary along the way and turn from God. And sadly, go back to a previous sins. And that's really sad because there's no more sacrifice for sin when you do that. You say, well, Jesus paid for all our sins. He paid for our sins. But when we are enlightened 
to the fact that that's a sin. And we turn from that sin and later return to it. The Bible tells us there's no more sacrifice for sin. We'll look at three sections of Scripture on this subject. Hebrews chapter 10, start at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Why? Because you would have to crucify Jesus afresh if you're going to sin after you've already received knowledge that what you were doing was a sin and you were delivered from that sin by the blood of Jesus, then if you go back to that sin, the Bible teaches us, you would have to crucify Jesus afresh in order to be forgiven that sin by returning to the sin after you are enlightened to the sin. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And verse 29, we see, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace? This is what a person has done if he was a drunkard and he realized that was a sin and he was enlightened by God to this fact and he turned from drunkenness and lived for 30 or 40 years a sober life. But then he went back to the drunkenness. That's what he did is he crucified Jesus afresh. And he did despot to the spirit of truth. It's a serious matter. Now, the Apostle Peter tells us how serious this is in Second Peter chapter 2. Start at verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Because iniquity of the last days because the iniquity will abound the love of many will wax cold but he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved so it is a matter for each one of us to hold on to our salvation to fight the good fight of faith Jesus says, because the iniquity around us abounds, the love of many for things of God will wax cold. Basically, if we delight ourselves in some form of iniquity, it could be on television, it could be in a book, it could be 
just enjoying seeing what people do when we know it's wrong. We could be turned over by God to a reprobate mind because of such things. We read that in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. See, they didn't retain God in their knowledge. They didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't hang on. Things sometimes go rather badly, it seems to us. And sometimes just out of the clear blue, you'll have thoughts that are from devils. Well, you have to turn to God and hang on to the things God has shown you. And with all your might, you have to cling to what God has shown you in the previous years. If you allow devils to influence you, you will get to the point that you no longer care about what God has said. You will get to the point that you grow completely cold. In 2021, I was just bombarded by thoughts. You're 83 years old. If you get to where you can't walk, you can't live in Pam's house anymore. You will have to go to assisted living. What will happen to you then? What will happen to you if you can't walk? What will happen if if this happens to you? I cried out to God, help me. And instantly, the Holy Spirit reminded me, God will supply all your need. I said, oh, yes, that's right. If that happens, God would supply my need. God will supply all my need. And so the heaviness turned to joy the minute I heard from the Holy Spirit. And I called on God and heard from the Holy Spirit. It's a fight. It's a battle. As the time gets nearer the end, the devil becomes even more fierce because he knows his time is short. Revelation, I believe that's 12, 12. So you have to fight. You have to fight the good fight of faith. You have to make yourself remember the time You were born again when God chose you and began to teach you and gave you his spirit. You have to remember those things. And sometimes you just grab hold of your bed and say, Praise God. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for showing me the truth. And you have to focus on those things God has done for you in the past. And as you do that, as you speak aloud to God, focusing on what he has done for you in the past, the devil will flee from you. The devil speaks no truth. Jesus says he was a liar from the beginning and there's no truth in him. So what he brings to your mind and my mind What the devil brings are lies. There is no truth in him. That's in John chapter 8. We have to know these things. Paul said we're not unwise to the workings of the devil. We know what he does. But some church people don't want to hear any of these things because they just want to think, oh, now I'm happy all day long. It doesn't really work like that. That's a song, a hymn, a song. When I was first born again, I was immediately attacked by devils. My best friend who was raised Baptist said, Joni, it's not supposed to happen like that. 
Now that you're a Christian, you're supposed to be happy all day. Well, that's what the song says, but that is not what happens. We have to fight. The church members just wanted to think there was one battle, and when that was over, everything was okay the rest of your life. She really wanted to think that, and I kept telling her that's not the way it works. You go from victory to victory, which means battle to battle. You have problems as long as you live on the earth. But the answer is in turning to God. So as long as you fight and turn to God and let him help you, you're going to win. But if you just become depressed and give up, or you go along with some lie of the devil, then you will be destroyed. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Your name can be blotted out of the book of life. Jesus said, He that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. So we fight to hold on to the things of God when the devil attacks us. The devil doesn't say, this is the devil. He just starts bringing us thoughts about what might happen to us. Or he brings you thoughts about what someone did to you. And you go along with those thoughts rather than turning to God and overcoming through what God tells you about the situation. Because the devil will destroy you if you let him. The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter chapter 5. That's what happens. So you have to be wise to spiritual warfare and salvation and to holding on to God because the devil will destroy you if you go along with him. So we fight. And we fight by holding on to that which we know God said to us at some point in our life. Go back to that. And just start thinking about it. And begin thanking God for revealing that to you. And ask him for help. There was a point in time recently when a man came to the city where I live. And he wanted me to have lunch with him. And I happily said, yes, of course I will. This is a man that I had met many years earlier, there was even a possibility he was a homosexual, although he'd done many favors for me. I didn't have absolute proof that he was homosexual, but there was a possibility. I greeted him with great joy. We were supposed to meet and have lunch on one day, but he got a really bad headache that day. So he called and said he just felt so bad that he needed to cancel that day and we'd meet the next day. In the interim period, I began to be concerned about this situation. Is this really of God? Is this something God wants me to do? We get all caught up in the flesh of great joy, and then all of a sudden, we get an awakening. And I turned to God seriously in prayer, and I said, Is this of you? Is there a message you want me to deliver to this man? Is this meeting of you? If not, I'm going to ask you to intervene and stop the meeting. Deliver me. But thy will be done. Whatever happens, I want you to do it. The second day when we were supposed to meet, 
he contacted us and said he was en route back to his home in another state, that his doctor had told him to return immediately because of that headache. After that, I wrote to him and sent him the information that I have printed on this podcast. That podcast printing is actually the letter I wrote to this man. I think there is a strong message from God. He has a history of physical problems. During coronavirus, he told me, I'll be so glad when this is over so I can start traveling again. And we see the results of what happened when he tried to travel to Colorado. He became ill. Maybe he is going to need to adjust his life in another way. Well, you can read the writing that is printed on this podcast, for that's the letter I sent to it. And what it shows is great joy when we make adjustments, when we let God work our life out and do changes in our life. And the latter end will be better than anything that we have ever worked out for ourselves when we follow God. Now I'm going to tell you about some of the things God worked out to cause my life to be so good at this point in time when I'm almost 84 years old. It's the best period of time I've ever experienced in my entire life. Most old people just sit around and say, oh, I wish I could live back in 20 years ago when such and such was happening. I say, there's never been a time of my life that's better than right now because God worked it out to be that way. Now let me tell you some of the things God did. In 1975, God caused me to be born again by bringing that word to me. Joan, you know these mistakes you've been doing all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. And with that, I was born again. A few nights after I was born again, I was sleeping and something happened. I was transported into heaven. I was with God, I was with Christ, I was with the Holy Spirit. I didn't see any images, it was strictly a spiritual experience. At that time I was merged into the body of Jesus, made one with the Word of God. God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. I had no idea what this meant. I thought this happened to every person who was born again. A few nights later, it happened a second time to me. After all this happened, I was having breakfast with a young man who was a friend. He had been raised Catholic and had been born again. And six months before I was born again, Bill was always talking about how wonderful it was to be born again. And I thought, well, everybody's a Christian. And I thought Bill was crazy. Then I was born again, and these things happened to me. And I was having breakfast with Bill, and I said, Bill, you know, you're really right about this being born again. It's wonderful. Being a Christian's wonderful. I said, what I like best about it is that thing that happens to you in the night. Bill was eating his food, and he didn't even stop. He just said, what thing? I said, I don't know what it's called. It's that thing that happens in the night, when you're taken into heaven and you're merged into the body of Jesus and you're with God and you're with the Holy Spirit. Bill put his spoon down, looked at me and said, what are you talking about? Well, that was the first time I had any realization that what had happened to me wasn't a normal part of becoming a Christian and being a Christian. God had put a call on my life, and at first I didn't understand it was a call on my life. 
But in the next four years, God began teaching me and taught me many things and showed me a call was on my life. In 1979, a prophet from our church came to my business that I owned in Dallas. And he said to me, Joan, I have a message from God for you. You're dragging your feet. You know you're supposed to be in the ministry. You're dragging your feet. And I said, I've written two little books that are published concerning things of God. And he just smiled at me. He didn't argue. And I knew he was right. So I announced immediately that on July 31st, 1979, my business would be closed for I was going into the ministry. And at that time, I reduced the prices of my merchandise by 10%. I'd never had a sale at my business because when I went out to buy merchandise, I prayed for God to show me what to buy. I prayed for God to have the Indian artist make the item before I got there. My business was American Indian Arts. I prayed for God to show me when I got to the reservation which items to buy. And as I returned to my business in Dallas, I prayed for God to send the angels out to bring the customers in to buy the items and I never had a sale. Everything always sold. So at that point, when I was closing the business, I reduced the price by 10% and sent out a postcard to all my customers. I went to Fort Worth that day to hear one of my best friends in a concert. She was a concert pianist over at TCU. I was gone all day the first day of the sale. When I got back to my house, the woman who worked for me called me, and she said, Joan, I, I need to tell you something. She said, I don't want you to go into the shop and be shocked, but almost every item in the store sold today. So there's not much left in the store. God just worked all this out. When we are willing to follow God and do what he wants, there will be trouble along the way, but he helps us endure and helps us to escape the temptations that come through the trouble. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul said, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So I closed my business on July 31st, 1979 to go into the ministry. I had nowhere to go. I didn't try to get a job at a church. I just sat there at my apartment and read the Bible and tried to do what I felt God wanted me to do. During this period of time, God had led me to separate myself to him. I didn't go to any plays. I didn't go to any football games. I just went to church, went to the prayer group, stayed home all day and read the Bible and tried to do what I felt God showed me to do. And then I would return to my apartment and pick up the Bible and read the Bible again. Watching no television, going to no movies, not going to plays, not doing anything, just separating myself to God. I'm not recommending that you do that. I'm just saying this is what God had me do. And it went on for quite some time. Don't read newspapers. Don't do that, he showed me. To show you how long it went on, I was with my mother and dad one day, and my dad mentioned a man named Jimmy Carter. And I said, who's Jimmy Carter? I was so isolated. 
to God, I did not realize this man had just been elected president of the United States. I didn't hear any of the stuff about the election or the years preceding the election or this man. And he was elected president of the United States, and I'd never heard his name before. That's how isolated I was to God, and he was teaching me. God was teaching me to do the work of the ministry, which he called me to do, which is the work of apostle prophet. I didn't tell anyone at church that I was called to be an apostle prophet. But when I went to church, people were always saying to me, we know the hand of God is upon you. How did they know that? Well, God would give me a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a gift of the Holy Spirit. And when I shared that gift, they recognized that the hand of God was on me. I often shared it in our Sunday school class because our Sunday school class teacher would always say, if anyone has a word from the Lord, please share it at this time. So I did. Well, they saw the church saw what I was. And one day at the 11 o'clock service, it, this church was called Word of Faith. Robert Tilton was the pastor. Bob said from the pulpit one Sunday morning, Joan Boney is not called to be a teacher. She's a prophetess. Our Sunday school teacher said, that's right, that's it. Because, see, he had often started to tell the class that I was called to be a teacher. But he always had what he called a check in his spirit. So he didn't say those words. But when Bob said I was a prophet, this teacher said, that's it. She's a prophet. I never told anyone that I was called also as an apostle. But I knew I was, and God told me I was, and he taught me what apostles do. So I had these two callings on my life. I knew not to apply at any church. They weren't going to hire me, a woman. They weren't going to hire me. They weren't going to hire a prophet. <laughs> the church runs away from prophets. They've always been the ones who kill the prophets because of the message because they are wanting to do something, and this prophet is shown by God not to do that. One time, I was speaking at a little church in uh, northern Colorado, and the pastor told me this story. He said he thought he had a man in his congregation who was a prophet. And he said, the reason I think he's a prophet is that I was committing a sin, and the whole church knew it. And this man came into my office one day and said to me, you are committing a sin, now you must stop that. And he said that was just like a sword going through his heart. And he said it was the power to make a change. And he said, I believe he's a prophet. That's what prophets do all the time. You're always delivering messages that shock people. They're messages from God, and you are just faithful to speak what God shows you. That's what prophets do, and it's very unpopular. If you read Matthew 23, you'll see Jesus saying, they always kill the prophets. The church did. You're sent to the church. Well, I knew not to apply at any church. I just sat at home at my apartment. I had enough money from my merchandise to pay for my rent at my apartment and my personal expenses. And I didn't do anything but read the Bible, go to church, and go to a prayer group for that period of time. Between July 31st, 1979, and January 10th, when I heard from God of the following year, 1980. On January the 10th, 1980, I was asleep in the night. 
I was awakened by a very loud trumpet-like voice speaking three words into my ear, like blowing a trumpet into your ear. And the words were Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I jumped out of bed and wrote KWJS on a notepad. I didn't want to get those letters mixed up because I felt they were call letters to either radio or television. When I looked it up, I saw it was a radio station. And I said to God, are you telling me to go on radio? I I wouldn't know how to do that. I'm a writer, not a speaker. I said, I wouldn't know how to do that. Instantly, I heard from the Holy Spirit, call the radio station manager. So God showed me how to go on radio. I called the radio station manager that same morning. I said to him, God might be showing me to go on radio. How would you do that? He said, make an audition tape, 29 and a half minutes long, send it to me, and if you fit our broadcasting, we will offer you a contract. I made the recording that same morning, put it in the mail to the radio station manager. Within five days, I was broadcasting exhortations for the church on radio station KWJS, five days a week, 30 minutes a day. At first, the radio broadcasts were very popular. They were on the subjects mostly of taking thoughts captive, spiritual warfare, dealing with destructive thoughts, and they were very popular. One radio station after another was added in different cities. God gave me, at that time, a plan which put me on radio from coast to coast. You will remember the word given to me that night, January 10th, 1980. That word was Hartford, Seattle, KWJS, Coast to Coast Radio. God gave me a plan which I call Purchase a City. The existing radio audience, if they gave a $1,000 offering, they could select one of the cities from a list that I had given them, and I would go on radio in that city immediately. I called it Purchase a City, a $1,000 offering. That would get me started on the radio in that city. And I felt that within a month, I would have enough support financially from the radio audience in that city to pay for the broadcast and to continue the broadcast. And it worked beautifully. I was on radio on about 15 cities from New York City, which would be the Hartford area, to Seattle and a bunch of places in between. And it was going so well. In 1982, I had a meeting in Seattle. I got on the bus to go to the airport, and I heard from God, now the foundation is laid, we're really going to move. Well, that was extremely exciting to me. I was already on radio from coast to coast. It wasn't at all unusual to have eight or 900 people come to meetings, and sometimes there would be as many as 2,000. So God says to me, now the foundation is laid. Now we're really going to move. I went to a, speak to a little church group in Hobbs, New Mexico, and on the plane back to Dallas, the Holy Spirit spoke these words to me. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Over and over, all the way from Odessa, Texas, where I caught the plane to come back to Dallas, I heard those words. 
the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. I knew that was a scripture in First or Second Peter, but I didn't know what it meant. A few days later, God began calling my attention to big-time ministers who were committing sins. I tried to get the message to the ministers by cassette tape, by a letter. I identified myself as a prophet, and I was fairly well-known in church circles during that time. But I couldn't get the letters to the ministers because they had people that would check their mail and they just threw the message away. God showed me a scripture where Paul said, Alexander the copper smith did me much harm. Be warned about him. Beware of him. Told the church that. God convinced me to get on my own radio stations, name the minister by name, and give the message that I had for the minister. The radio audience then heard the message in the cities where the ministers lived who were committing the sins, and they told the ministers. So I knew the ministers got the message. Well, the radio audience that followed those ministers, they got furious with me, and the hate mail poured into our office. And they withdrew their support from me, and I got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. By 1984, I decided to terminate the radio broadcast. My dad had died in 82, and I decided to go out to the city where my mother lived and live there and help her. I just terminated all the broadcasts all over the United States. Although some stations left me on the air, many of the stations put me off the air. In Seattle, the radio station manager said to me, Joan, you have such good messages. Just speak those messages. But if you continue to speak these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We may have to put you off the air. The Holy Spirit rose up in me and said through me, George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message, and I may as well be off the air. Well, that is a, a defining word, because if you hold back the message God has given you, and you speak another message, this isn't going to do the work of God. Only the word God wants you to speak at that point in time will do the work of God. I often pray before anyone comes to my house, if there's anything you want me to say, please show me. And don't let me speak anything except what you want spoken. I often pray that. If I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message. So in 1984, I terminated all the radio broadcasts. I continued to send written messages to the radio audience all over the United States, the people who continued to contact me. I sent written messages to them. I even sent cassette tapes to them. We did it on a rotational basis where I would send tapes to individuals and they would send it to another individual. and We rotated these tapes. But basically, I was just at home, and for 28 years, what did I do for those 28 years? Between 1984, when I terminated the radio broadcast, between 1984 and the year 2012, when God gave me a dream showing me to start a blog, what, what in the world did I do between 1984 and the year 2012? I sat and thought about that. And I realized 
the thing I did between those 28 years was build houses, physical houses. I first built two apartments in Clovis, New Mexico. Then I built a house on the golf course in Clovis, New Mexico. Then my mother died and I moved to Lubbock, Texas, and I built a house in Lubbock, Texas. And during that time, when I sold a house in Clovis, apartments and houses, the money increased. And I took the increase and put it in to the house in Lubbock, Texas. And it sat in that house between the year 2002 and 2019 when I moved from Lubbock, Texas. So what was God doing? He was providing money for the time when I didn't have any offerings hardly at all. By the time we got to 2019, I hadn't tried to get new church members or followers or get offerings. This was still the radio audience. A great many of them left me along the way. Some died. Some of the ones who gave the most money died. I was left with five people supporting the ministry. I had stopped taking a salary from the ministry when Social Security started because I had enough money from Social Security to pay for my personal expenses. The house I lived in was, was belonged to the ministry. So I didn't need much. I didn't think much about it. In the year 2018, December 6th, I fell at my house in Texas. It was a very bad situation. I lived alone. The phone was probably six feet away. I started trying to crawl with broken hip and broken wrist. The pain was so bad, I didn't think I could get to the phone, but I heard a word from God. You can do this. And because of that word, I kept trying to inch my way to the phone. It took four and a half hours to get to the phone. When I pulled on the cord of the phone, the receiver squirted across the room. I never saw the phone receiver again. But I noticed a Kindle tablet under the table recharging. So if I could get to that tablet, maybe I could send a message to our church group and ask somebody to get me help, get an ambulance over in my house. I lived alone. No one was even scheduled to come to my house for a week. I would have died if I couldn't get a message out. So I managed to get the Kindle tablet. Several times I just thought I'd pass out trying to send the email. But I did get an email sent saying, Fallen, help, send ambulance. Pam Paget in Colorado Springs got the message. She called the Lubbock, Texas Police Department and told them what had happened. They sent an ambulance to my house. I heard them at the front door and I knew I was okay. I relaxed. They came and put me on a gurney to take me to the hospital. As we passed the front door of that house in Texas, I heard from God these words. You'll never see this house again. I really wasn't troubled. God had already shown me there was going to be a new way of life for me. I already saw that I couldn't continue to live alone. I didn't want a big house to take care of. I just wanted one room where all my things were around me. I knew God was going to make a change in my life. I contacted a realtor when I was able and put the house on a real estate market for sale. One of our church members said, I don't see how you can do this. I said, but I've heard from God. I'll never see this house again. When you hear a word from God, it's not unusual for somebody in your church group to try to dissuade you from doing that word. That's not at all unusual. 
Before I was taken to surgery, a nurse came into the hospital room in Lubbock, Texas. One person from our church group lived in Lubbock, Texas, and she was there in the room when the nurse came in. And the nurse said, I've got to have you sign this paper and tell us if you are unable to answer questions for yourself. Someone has to be in charge of you. Who will be in charge of you? And I said, Pam Paget is in charge of me. And the church member that was standing in the room said, How can Pam be in charge of you? She doesn't even live here. She's in Colorado. And I replied, I don't know how she can be in charge of me, but she is. Now, why would that happen? It wasn't that I consciously thought of it. It was just there. I'd seen Pat Paget. I knew what she did. We worked together on books. She did the technical work for the books that are printed on Amazon. She did the technical work for the blog. She even set up the blog. When there was a problem, Pam didn't run to me and tell me the problem. What Pam did is she prayed. And then God showed her how to resolve the problem. And then she told me that she had this problem, but God showed her what to do. I had seen her pattern of life. She was going to turn to God, not to me. I wanted the person who had demonstrated they had the Holy Spirit, they trusted in God, they connected with God. That's the person I wanted around me. And as I was in the hospital after surgery and during the next two and a half months when I was in the hospital, it was all worked out for me to move to Colorado Springs and live in the home of Pam Padgett. Well, it was just wonderful because if we disagreed on anything, we both prayed. We didn't sit there and pray in the same room. I don't mean that. That's so religious. I just can't handle that. But I knew she was praying, and I knew I was praying, and God would change one of us, usually me. He he did. He usually changed my mind. But we came into agreement because we had the same spirit. This is the first time I'd ever lived in a house with someone who had the same spirit. It was wonderful. I've been in this house where Pam is for three years. It's been the best period of time in my entire life. And not just because of Pam, but a lot of it has to do with us having the same spirit because God will bring us into unity. If there is a disagreement, there haven't been very many times we've disagreed. But when we did, I'm sure we were both praying, and God would bring us into unity. The unity of the church and the bond of peace. It's been great. I've never seen anything like it. The house in Texas was on the market for a year and a half before it sold. In March 2020, when coronavirus struck, I was terrified. I turned to God about the house in Texas. It hadn't sold for the year and a half when it was on the market. And I turned to God and I said, Is there anything you want me to do about that house in Texas? Who's going to want to buy a house in the middle of the coronavirus with all the indecision of what was going to happen? And God said to me, put it on a special sale, a one-week-only sale, lower the price, which I did, and it sold in two days. And then there was the money that came from the house in Texas, and I put it in the bank after all of the gratuities were paid and all the expenses on selling a house and the move to Colorado. I put the money in the bank, and at one point in time, I realized God had set all this up 
Back in 1984, when I began building the houses in New Mexico, because each time I changed the property there in New Mexico, everything increased and the money was more. So he was providing the way that I could be taken care of in my old age through those houses that I built and sold in various places. And now that money was in the bank, just waiting for whatever need should come up in my life. There weren't many offerings at the end, and there were only five people in our group who gave offerings. But the message went all over the world, and over a million had viewed the blog. None of them sent offerings. I didn't ask for offerings. To date of this recording, more than 14,000 have clicked on the podcast. So the message goes instantly all over the world. And the two scriptures that God kept me going by, one of them is in Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily. So when I started the podcast, I broadcast podcasts daily and put it out for the people because of the scripture. And it says, exhort one another daily. The verse before that, Verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So I exhort people daily, and the blog and the podcast are ways to do this, exhorting them daily in things of God that they hold on to the faith and that they deny the sins that we see in the world today, which are rampant. So there are so many people that have an opportunity to hold on to God and turn to God through these exhortations. Another scripture that kept me going on the same subject was in Hebrews 10, verse 25, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you draw nearer to the return of Jesus and see the day of Jesus approaching, and know you're drawing nearer, exhort them even more. Now, it's very unusual for anyone to make a podcast every day or do a blog every day, a fresh writing. But I do because of these two scriptures which tell me to exhort them daily. And I've followed these scriptures for literally decades, exhorting the church daily. And now we have the means to do it through the blog and the podcast. Well, the end of my life is better than the beginning. I wrote about other details, which I hope you will read. It's on the writing attached to this podcast. So I hope you'll take time to read this. But I do thank you for allowing me to share this with you today. Some lot of instruction in this podcast for you. Trust in God. He'll work out things better than you could. Put your trust in God. Abraham said, when the king of Sodom offered to give to Abraham, Abraham said, I have lifted up my hands unto the Lord that I won't take from a thread to a shoe latchet from you, lest you say I've made Abram rich. When I read that 40 years ago, I said to God, that's the way I want to be. 
I don't want my provision to come from man. I want it to come from you. Turn to God. Put yourself in his hand. Trust in him. Follow him. Do what he says. Do the scriptures in the New Testament as he shows you by his spirit and calls those scriptures to your attention. Meditate on those scriptures day and night. Follow those scriptures. They're the road signs showing you what to do. The ones that are brought to your attention by the Holy Spirit, follow them. Keep them before you day and night so you'll have strength to do them. He will not fail you. Thank you for allowing me to speak this to you today.